Welcome to Snyder White and the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian White, joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hi, how are you? Mark, doing well. Uh, it's been a while. A lot going on. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially in China, or China, as former President Trump calls it. Um, yeah. uh, Xi Jinping skipped uh, UN General Assembly and skipped the G20 and shaved off uh, part of the BRICS, which are his kind of socialists, a lot of them, not all of them. Um, and you have a economic catastrophe maybe in China. I don't know. What do you think? And Evergrande is missing more uh, bond payments. Uh, seems to be a, a slow moving train wreck, if that's a thing. Uh, what's your what's your sort of maybe break it down into business and then later politics. But what, what's your what's your thought on the uh, economy over there? I only have really I can lead in with one thing, and I was been thinking about this for a while, and that's this. Even if China started to grow demographically again by like 1% or 2%, they still have more flats by a couple of million, by most estimates, between like 1.5 and 2.5 million. So let's say 2 million. They still have 2, two, two million too many flats. So in other words... They got too much property. They have too many flats. And my, my, the point I'm making is, is we're probably seeing right now, God knows how many Chinese are leaving now that we have, you know, 2,000 a, a week coming over the southern border and flying in and every other place. But they're probably going to be down another million five, okay, uh, people this year. And it's starting to drop. And then next year, it's going to be 4 million. The next year after that, it's going to be 6 million. The point being is, they're basically dying, and I don't know how they get out of it. Japan was able to make their recovery because they are a free market system, and they essentially found a way for the politicians to lose sometimes and then to make the corrections. The problem in the CCP, with the CCP in China, you can't lose. There's no such thing as losing, so you can't make the corrections. The nice thing about the democratic system is that basically people can lose, Mistakes are fixed. You move on. In the CCP, mistakes are fatal. And that's the problem. And Xi Jinping is in, I hate to use overuse the term, it's China's doom cycle. In other words, it's just going down and down and down. Now, they don't have violence in the streets. It's not Philadelphia looting. But basically, they are losing money. And if you have property, if you have anything in China, it's getting harder and harder to acquire wealth. And so, yes, wages are rising, but also everything else, prices are rising with it. It's not like there's real wage gains happening of any significance. Of course, people are probably doing a little bit better, I think, than they were wage-wise, but then the inflation catches up with them and their net worth and their wealth drops down. You know, I mean, remember what's the old saying? You'll own nothing and like it. Well, yeah, the Chinese are coming yeah, the Chinese are coming to that, and they're not, not liking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, the World Economic Forum guy. World Economic Forum. Yeah, yeah. Same, yeah, same yeah. thing. Same thing. Same commies. Same. Yeah, I mean, so and what is driving that? So you had decades of one China policy, which um, because your eldest son is also your retirement plan, you're the mother yes. when your husband dies. Uh, you go and live with son number one, um, or even doesn't, doesn't die, maybe both parents, if they can't work, live off of son number one. So if you can only have one kid, that led to 
um, abortion on a massive scale of girls. Um, and, uh, I don't know. And now, now you, they, they've eased up on that, but you just, it's just what it's the, the same thing we see elsewhere where economic uncertainty and doubt about the future in general, and just sort of a modernizing trend has led to, uh, this demographic crunch. And, and, and once it starts, it really gains steams. And that, cause if you do look at Japan and I think South Korea is in equally bad shape, uh, we're not doing as well as we once were. We were at least at 2.1, which is what you need to maintain population for a while, but yeah. we've dipped. But anyway, is it the economic problem that's really driving this? You know, What's the old saying? The worst people there are are dumb people who work hard, you know, because they just they, and and that's that's the problem. The problem is you have bad economic policy. Whoever thought the communists came up with a good economic policy? Right. Basically, we liked it because it was cheap stuff. You know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, the Chinese are doing great; they're improving. Yeah, it was cheap stuff. Look at their highways and their roads. Of course, they had highways and roads. We were buying everything from them. Everything from you know this cup to your shirt to these products. Yeah, they made it and God bless them for making it. They did a really good job, but guess what? They really haven't themselves fixed their internal problems. And what I mean by that is they don't have the ability to recover. And I think that's a real problem. The ability to fail is probably one of the greatest benefits that anyone can have. You can fail and you can restart. You can fail and you can restart. And the Chinese don't have that option with the CCP. That's the problem. There's no failure. If you fail, you're out. If you fail, you may be out feet first. You know what I'm saying? So it's not an option for these guys. If you do a bad investment, a bad scheme over here, okay, it happens. You got to deal with the IRS. You got to deal with the courts. You might get sued. But after a couple of years, you come out. It's like bankruptcy. There's really no such thing as CCCP, CCP bankruptcy, political bankruptcy over there. In other words, once you're done, you're probably done. And so in that sense, you're going to cover up forever and ever. And that's the problem. I think the thing we have is we have hmm. basically people who can't fail. And because they can't fail, they keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, one of the things just real quick is people talk about the reforms needed. Yeah, they know what they need to do. But are they going to do it? Because if they do it, then they have to admit that they were wrong, which they don't want to ever admit that they were wrong. Or is it easier just to double down and kick it to the next guy? Okay. And I think a lot of the problems, in fairness to the CCP before Xi Jinping, it was essentially a 12-year gig. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you know, you know, you got you got your thing, your Hu Jintao or your Jiang Zemin, and then you get another one. But then, you know, basically after about eight years, there's somebody else coming in and, you know, you have to, those guys are competing. They're trying to do a good job. There was a bit of a meritocracy in the CCP. And I think what's happened is in the last 13 years under Xi Jinping, he's managed to crap that out. In other words, there really is no meritocracy anymore. And, and, and I'm not praising the communists. It's just, it is what it is, you know? And so that's their problem. The problem is it's bad decisions they can't get away, they can't get out of because that spells political death and political death in China 
is not a retirement sitting on a bunch of boards of directors. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You know, I forget who said uh, someone famous. There are no second acts in American politics. One of the dumbest and most incorrect things that's ever been said about American politics. They're incredible second acts. I mean, look at Richard Nixon. Look at Ronald Reagan. Hey, look at Bob Menendez, second time going up before a uh, federal uh, federal prosecution. <laughs> Maybe he'll squeak through I this time. I don't, I'm not, not a fan of Matt. I'm not a fan of Matt Getz. And it's not, by the way, it's not his original line, but it is funny as hell that Menendez had to take gold bars because he was worried about the, the, the value of the U.S. dollar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but as you point out in China, there may be, are, are no second acts, uh, at least none recently. I guess some people may have been rehabilitated after the cultural revolution if they managed to survive. But um, yeah, like recent um, disappearances, who was it, a, the equivalent of a secretary of state over there, uh, head of the yeah, rocket yeah. forces, you know, one guy was close, very close to Xi Jinping, uh, was a protege of his, but had a love child yeah. over here in America. And that was thought to be a security risk. That's the rumor. No one really knows for certain. Um, is this G sort of his paranoia and, and just picking off anyone who could? I think the problem is, is when things go wrong in that system, everything goes wrong. It's, 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 I mean, the only thing that I'm somewhat secure in saying is that he's always had tremendous friction with certain segments of the CCP and that being the PLA, cause he's always tried to get control of that. And I think he's also had pretty significant pushback from the rural areas. In other words, they're not that scared of him. You know, uh, his ability to go get, if if you remember um, when when he went and got Boji Lai, when he went up up, up there, yeah, right. to Jung, was, when he went up and got them, that took him a while to get organized. And I think essentially, um, and that was just so outrageous. But I think some of these guys out in the countryside, I, I think he doesn't have the pull that he used to have. Um, certainly. And when it starts going against you, which, you know, basically the worm turned on him probably just a few months after he got his historic third term, you know. And so I I, I don't see the guy. I don't see the guy as basically being infallible anymore. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing that's holding him up is basically the people that want him to stay there. And but he's fourth term. I mean, he may have to, he'll have to slaughter a lot of people to do it. And I think more and more people are standing up to him. Um, the other thing, too, is as that happens, the simple fact is nobody's coming there anymore. FDI is drying up. You know, foreign direct investment is drying up. Reinvestment is drying up. Money is leaving. People are leaving. I'm, I'm fully convinced we're going to see people controls tighten. In other words, really, you already need permission to leave. But it's kind of, you know, it's basically, you know, n nothing big. I think that's going to really change. I think that's going to be much, much more difficult to get passes here in the next year or so um, because they're worried about people just leaving and taking off. So I, I, I don't see a lot of things working for them, but I really think the problem they have is, is this, is I think they don't have enough people. They're getting old quick. So the old question is, does China become rich before it gets old? Is no, they're going to get old before they get rich. They're way too far away from that. They are not going to be an economic threat to the world. India is going to soon surpass them in terms of a lot of things. And that's pretty sad to say, considering anybody who's ever tried to do business in India. And I say <laughs> Not try. a finely tuned machine over there, is it? 
yeah, it's that finely tuned bribe machine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Unlike China, the Indian, the Indians basically, you know, you bribe in China and sometimes you get something done. In India, it just gets you to the next guy looking for a bribe. And I'm sure people, if they hear this, will be very insulted by that. But let's be honest, you know, it, it, there's well, a... You there, better be careful. You, had, you go to Canada a lot. They may just whack you up there. You know, the Indians. No the Indian 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 Indian. We're not supposed um, to talk about that. You know. But, you know, but the thing is, is that so for me, I, I just think there's not a lot of hope. I think if you look at India, Modi's trying to make it so he doesn't leave. But the fact is, he's delivering the goods. Yeah, and I can assure you, once he stops delivering the goods, he will not be there. They have a strong commitment to democracy in India. And whether certain people are trying to get around it or not, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it seems like any, uh, well, not any, but lots of Indian American businessmen are just wild about Modi and, and the, the, the tack that he took away it's, from Congress there and it, just it, ending this this endless socialist, uh, you know, bureaucracy. You know the closest thing I've seen to that with Modi? I know mm -hmm. this is Berlusconi. Mm -hmm. Berlusconi would go to New York City or he'd go to San Francisco or he'd go to Chicago and it's like the sons of Italy would welcome and they'd be like, oh, but um, but um, but um, but um, you know, they have an Oompa <laughs> band and all that stuff. That's my take on the Indian community here with Modi. Because the kids, the, I mean, it's a, there's ethnic pride. India has basically always been made fun of in their minds. They've got this chip on the shoulder, rightfully so. They've been looked down upon and they have been looked down upon, especially by China. And they're coming on and this guy's leading the way. So, yeah, people like him. You know what I'm saying? It's no different than when you're in the Philippines with Duterte. But I'm not kidding you. I've seen Modi people here in rallies, and I've seen, and all I do is think Berlusconi. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I remember I was in, I was in there, and it's like you know, you have these guys who can't even speak Italian, and they're going, "A great son of Italy has returned, Berlusconi." And you're looking at them going like, like you live in you live in like Flushing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know. It's, that's you funny. know, you eat, you eat, you know you eat pizza from Domino's. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> and it's just it's but that's the thing thing with Modi. Modi makes him proud, so that's fine. Yeah. I don't I don't. Yeah, do well, it. it's 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 this modernization. Canada's probably not the best thing in the world, but you know, yeah. Well, but no, China, like China's in other trouble. Yeah, and I well, think I want to ask you. Let me, let me ask you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Let's finish with that, then we'll ask you about some some no, propaganda. No, go ahead. Uh, propaganda. All right. So when I used to work on North Korea, human rights, the State Department, um, some mornings they'd come up and fire up KCNA, the Korean Central News Agency, just for a laugh. Uh, not that these are funny things. This is a repressive, brutal, murderous regime toward its own people uh, and, and toward others. But the propaganda was so unbelievably over the top. I mean, Tokyo Rose would have never, uh, this would have made her blush. This would have made Lenny Riefenstahl blush. Goebbels, I don't know, maybe he could do it, but um, just so crazy over the top. And I've noticed this a couple times recently coming out of Hong Kong. Sebastian Lai, son of Jimmy Lai, uh, who you've been the deputy to for decades, currently in prison as a political prisoner in Hong Kong. Anyway, Sebastian appears at a side event at the Human Rights Council. This is not even like a condemnatory resolution by one no, of the member right. states against China. This is just a sort of, you know, uh, event, Thank to their credit, uh, sponsored by the UK government, co-sponsored by the US and a bunch of other states. But the statement condemning this preemptively that comes out of um, what the Hong Kong's version of the, its foreign ministry, its external affairs thing that, yeah. you know, just is, is crazy over the top. Uh, and we've seen this a little, uh, before with a few other statements relating to Jimmy and the various other political prisoners 
people put in jail in Hong Kong for just expressing a point of view, mostly journalists so far, but soon to be businessmen and attorneys too, I'm sure. Um, what's going on? What do you think is prompting this? Because I sort of, you think the Chinese are at least a little bit suave. Well, first of all, there's, 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 I think in my mind, there's a few things. The first thing is they can't believe that Jimmy won't bend. I mean, they really, and I've seen this, you know, I work for the guy. I still work for the guy. They can't believe that he won't bend. And that's, it's not, a, it's, it's not a difficult one for him. You know what I'm saying? It's like basically, okay, I'm, he told me, I mean, of course, everybody knows the stories and I have others, but you know, he, he was, he goes, I, I have 74 years of my life. He said, I'm fine. If it's over, it's over. He said, you know, I'll stay here and I'll read my books till the end. And, you know, and he, he is, that, that's what he did. And, and I don't think people really grasp that, you know? And I think the other thing too is Jimmy Lai was forged in fires that, I guess Xi Jinping would probably understand him with the Great Wall. So that, and I think what Xi Jinping would go is like, what I bust? And the thing is, he probably wouldn't. I can give Xi Jinping credit. So is Jimmy going to break? So that's a problem for him. The other problem they have is that, quite frankly, he is a man who is very well known. He's a man with resources. And he's got people supporting him. And he's got things structured that they can't touch. In other words, Jimmy knew he was going to jail. We had conversations about it. The, all these things were going on. This is not on his part. Like, this is not like something they can walk in the cell and say, stop it. Can't, you know, and they can't stop some of these other very large and well-off and significant people in the world who are Jimmy's friends. They're not going to stop either because some of these guys are really tough. I mean, Jimmy's friends are, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a who's who. Of I wouldn't say in the publishing world, but I'd say in the intellectual and the business world. I mean, his tables were had some pretty good people around him who you know um, were there. Also, it doesn't take as much as people think it does to challenge them. In other words, they have to spend billions, hundreds of millions of dollars to get their propaganda message out, and all Jimmy Lai has to do is have a few people in the corner going, "Not true, not true, not true." And so they don't know how to handle that. And hence, that's why we get these ridiculous statements. I think we were looking at one, you and I were looking at one earlier on that was just hilarious, was the one you picked out. They did a release on Jimmy and they were taught, they were complaining about it. And this is part of, this is the line. The likes of Jimmy Lai have long been firmly nailed to the pillar of humiliation, <laughs> betraying the motherland and the people and must be duly punished. Who writes? Oh, duly punished, not just punished. Wow. Duly punished. You know, and who writes that shit? There's nobody in Hong Kong writing it. There's nobody who went to the Mary Knowles schools or who went to Hong Kong U. Or there's nobody in the Hong Kong bureaucracy writing that, just so you know. That's not a Hong Kong person. That's somebody from the mainland who basically reads Mao's little red book. And so that's the problem. The problem is they're communist and they don't know how to work in the outside world. And they're used to people just shutting up. I always say the number one foreign policy goal of the Chinese government. There's only one, they only have two words, shut up. They don't want to have to defend it. I have been countless times told to shut up. You know, when I was in Hong Kong, countless times, shut up. Now they tell you in a multitude of ways, they intimidate you, they call you, they call you in, they hurt your business, but it's shut up. 
And the problem that they have is this Hong Kong group, and it's not just Jimmy. In fact, Jimmy's not the major part of it. This Hong Kong group of dissidents, these Hong Kong people overseas, they're resourceful. They have funds available to them. They can hold a fundraiser at a Chinese restaurant with nobody knowing about it, just completely organized on WhatsApp in London. And I'll give you an example. I happen to know they held a fundraiser for some one of the groups, some, something over there, probably about five months ago. They held it at a Chinese restaurant owned by a guy who's trusted. All the invitations went out, no names, just numbers, people who showed up. They held a fundraiser. It looked like a normal dinner. That's all that was there. It was just a normal dinner. Somebody got up, stood up, spoke, said, we're passing the kit. When you come back, if you can put some money in, they raised something like 17,000 pounds. Oh. And there, there were, there were 100, 150 people there. Of course, it's all cash because nobody wants to do anything. And that's the Chinese, that's the Chinese problem. The problem is they've got a well-organized machine. Now the Uyghurs are starting to get up and people are starting to just look at them. And it goes back to the fact that they don't have the economy working for them anymore. They'll always have the Quislings like Hank Paulson. You know, the Quislings will always show up, the Hank Paulsons of the world, the Ronnie Chans of the world. Um, all these people who were kissing ass, John Greenwood, all these other people, he's the father of Peg, they'll all show up. But the problem is, is like, yeah, but they don't have what the Chinese need, which is credibility. And what they need on the outside is just a little bit of money. So it's a lot of money against a little bit of money, but it's 100% credible against zero credible and the money can't overcome that. Mm -hmm. you know. And so my point is they're panicking. And so this is what's happening. The Hong Kong people look like they've just dropped out of it. They're just like, we're done. Interesting. So I was going to ask you if, if this is sort of impossible to know, but if Beijing was pissed off at Hong Kong for making for putting are, them in this serious. situation, but you, you think they've sort of have taken over calling? No, calling I talked to somebody. Show. There was the financial secretary was in Hong Kong the other day, and they're so desperate they're just inviting everybody. So a friend mm -hmm. of mine went to the thing, and the whole conversation at the table was, "Oh my God, we're getting so much shit from Beijing," because that's the way their system works. People forget their system is a system that feeds off each other. In other words. You rise up by pushing somebody else down. It's like the crab. But, you know, they're trying to get on top and push somebody down. So the fact is, right now, you can crap all over Hong Kong all day long if you're in the bureaucracy and the foreign ministry and the MSS, and the secret police. If you're in government, you can crap all over Hong Kong. You're messing it up. You're making it hard on us. It's not your responsibility. So they just had a big changeover about six months ago, seven months ago. They changed over the whole crew down there. They brought in a knuckle dragger, a, a real knuckle dragger, and he's not having the success they want either. But it's really easy for them. Uh, the funniest thing is, is they just don't get it. The easiest thing in the world for them is they've got 1,500 ways to make the world happy. Those are the 1,500 plus people in prison. All that people care about, and I, I tell the Hong Kong groups this, people don't really get upset about issues and things like this. Yes, press freedom is bad. They worry about it. That's an issue. You, move, you get put on the list and then that, that's your issue to deal with. What they care about is that essentially they care about people being in prison. Now, the first reaction is it's just wrong and you shouldn't do it. In other words, like, you know, when you look at the indictments that Jimmy has, I'm on a few of them. When you look at our indictments, it's like, what did they do? It's basically all speaking. It's all what we said. It's all what right. we backed. 
that we that we're nonviolent. I mean, one of the things is is that you know, but they're they're going they're going nuts. They're trying to, you know, attack Jimmy. You know, him working colluding with foreign forces, right? Like the U.S. The U.S. government has always been, you know, for democracy and to mess up trade. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Commerce Department and the Treasury Department own that relationship with China, much to the chagrin of the State Department. You know, it's changed a little bit in the DOD coming in. But my point being is, Kristen and Duran, is that they are desperate. And part of that desperation is they don't have the candy they used to feed everybody all the time. Oh, come and invest. Come and invest. Come and make money. People right. are pulling out. And if you don't have that, what's the incentive? They did the event in Geneva. I guess it would be today there. 25 mm -hmm. nations co-sponsored that thing, including the Japanese, the Australians, the Kiwis, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, Lithuania and those guys like to just give them the big F, F you for the fun of it. But serious trading partners basically showed up risking their wrath. The reason why they're risking their wrath is the wrath is not what it once was. And the rewards are not there. So why not? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a welcome welcome development. Uh, speaking with China, but turning to uh, a pet rock project of mine. You know, you have such great experience in the Philippines from working there for many many years and doing business there, even when you're in Hong Kong. Um, you know, we always thought that sort of war with China would start probably over with Taiwan as a flashpoint, but recently I gather. The Chinese were trying to erect some inflatable barrier around was it Scarborough Shoal, or is that the one where there's a basically American-made World War II era LST that was run ashore that has Filipino Marines on it yeah. just to, to help stake their claim? Um, you know, this has been a, a tit-for-tat running for a while. Uh, the Filipinos think we're mad when we didn't come to their aid instantly earlier. Um, I guess the counter-argument to that would be they are a big nation that should have have, have a, a military and a Coast Guard there, have some capabilities and not just rely on the U.S. They did, after all, basically kick us out of our bases in 91-92. Um, I don't know. Any chance that instead of a missile attack on Taiwan, that World War III actually just starts with a couple of uh, Chinese and Filipino Coast Guard boats taking off after each other with 50 cals, something like yeah, that? I, I, I think that's probably more likely than Taiwan. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think Taiwan's a hard target and, and they're making it harder every every six every four months. The Taiwanese are learning everything the Chinese are trying to do. You know, when you fly 100 planes against Taiwan, they learn a lot. The U.S. learns a lot. The Japanese learn a lot. You know what I'm saying? And, it, you know, the element of surprise, people say, well, they're going to it's not there. And then the Taiwanese say for the first time we're ever mo we're monitoring the ground forces in 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 Fujian, that's bullshit. They've been monitoring those things forever. There's more spies for the Taiwanese. You know, have, there's like what, 175,000 business people in in Fujian province for Taiwan. I'm not kidding you. There's that many of them. You know, <laughs> wow. they own all the factories. They run everything there. Hmm. And so the fact of the matter is, they got eyes and ears everywhere. You know, and it doesn't take much to get the local military commander into a whorehouse at night and learn a few secrets. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the Taiwanese. They don't, here's the funny thing. They don't even have to communicate anymore. They can learn everything, put everything on a hard drive. Okay. This is how they do it. They learn everything. Then they just fly home. So many of these guys have military training. Okay. Right. And they sit there and they say, well, you know, my factory's here. I'm next to a military base. They fly home. 
when they come in, they check in with a handler, they check in with a military officer, you know, and they literally, I'm not kidding you, they just go down and meet them, you know, and they're patriotic Taiwanese guys. They said, yeah, you know, I live here. This military base is here. Nothing's going on. They, you know, the soldiers are always walking around. I see them in the bars. Why? Because he goes home every month. So the, the amount of information the Taiwanese have is phenomenal. And therefore, the Americans have and the Japanese have because they share it. So there's not many surprises that are going to come out of China. In other words, we'll know if they're really getting ready to go because they're not just going to be able to go. And but right. here's the Philippines. Did you see that? They got us. I'll send it to you. Anybody who's out there, you got to watch the video of the Filipino fishermen trying to like beat the Phil the, the Chinese, you know, the, this Chinese basically speedboat with this one, you know, this Coast Guard guy on it. And he's trying to get over the line so he can get in to go fishing. You know, he's got a, it's a bonka boat. That's how ridiculous this is. It's what we call a bonka. You know, it's like basically the boat and it's got the one skiff on the side. Mm -hmm. And he's basically got a car engine, a small car engine as his motor. He's like, you know, he goes out there. Yeah, the Thai have that on their rivers. I've never quite, I don't know why yeah, they do that. It's, yeah. it's, it's mm -hmm. close. It's a very close, close situation. Not as quite as fast. But <laughs> he can do, he can do 25 knots. <laughs> now, of course, the Chinese easily outrun him, but they don't back down. These fishermen go right up there and it's like, you know, they're right in their damn face. And I'm betting sooner or later, if they get keep getting chased off their grounds, they're going to come out there again. And the next time some guy comes up, they're probably going to blow him away. And then you got a shooting war, you know, because the Filipinos are, and it's not Duterte, it's Marcos. And the, the mood in the Philippines now is there is no chance, no chance in hell, just so you know, snowball's chance in hell that the Filipinos are going to back down to the Chinese. All right. They may take a licking. There's no doubt about that. But once that happens at that point in time, I think it's really going to be interesting. Now, the question I have is, and I think it's legitimate, is Scarborough Shoals something the U.S. wants to go to war over? And the answer is probably no. But it does mean that we're going to have an increased presence there. In other words, and the Chinese are not going to be able to put Coast Guard maritime vessels anywhere they want them. In other words, the U.S. will come out and push, probably help the Filipinos push them back. All right. But I, I Christian, I got to tell you, I've said this for a while. You, you see some of these things, these small Filipino, you know, 60 foot, 6,500 foot Coast Guard vessels right up against these 350 foot, basically light cruisers from the, chap, from the Chinese Coast Guard. And they're, they're, they're right there. You know, and, and these small guys putting it up, the Filipinos, they will fight. I mean, they're, they're pissed. And, you know, I hear it from people. And also the Filipinos are doing something that's brilliant. It's very smart. They are basically using drone photography and they are bringing foreign journalists out with them. So in other mm -hmm. words, U.S., in fairness to the Biden administration, they're encouraging it. So now every time the Chinese interact, there's a reasonably good chance there is a journalist on board that ship who is immediately given access to upload and broadcast his stuff back. In fact, there's so many people going out there that a friend of mine at Reuters, who is actually one of the better journalists in terms of um, covering that for years, he said, "Ah, eh, everybody's doing it. Why should I go out? I can learn more here.
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I mean, they really, they really are the Chinese. You know, they put that that barrier down in the water. Basically, it looks like a looks like looks like a thing in your local swimming pool. To be honest with you, you know, it's, it's like that's the thing. I've noticed them around Navy ships in San Diego, but yeah, this one looked dinkier. This one looked like uh, it's dinkier. You could cut it's dinkier. With a it's it's just it's 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 basically like the uh, it's basically like the uh, you know I, I told somebody that's what Kevin Bacon had like an animal house like remain calm don't cross over here. that's the line <laughs> they put down <laughs> so and that's what they had and and the, and the Filipinos picked it up the Filipinos like screw you we're picking it up yeah and the Chinese didn't know what to do but the Chinese are gonna they're not gonna be able to back down because their system won't allow it and that's that's the whole point. In the Philippines, they can make mistakes, they can recover, and you can do things. So, for example, let me give you an example. Under Obama, we were humiliated by the Iranians taking a small Navy craft yes. because, you know, we were not allowed to re respond fire. Well, in fairness, when Trump came in, you never saw the Iranians try that again. You know what I'm saying? So, and and now... I think they might want to try it again. You never know with this crew in, but I don't think they would. So in other words, we saw the mistake and we fixed it for the most part, I guess. But, you know, I mean, we seem to forget that the, the Chinese don't have that operation. The Chinese, frankly, in the South China Sea, they control it. There's really no chance of the U.S. doing anything down there. I don't, I don't see the rationale anymore other than oil which is a big reason, you know what I'm saying? Right. Other than oil to to basically have those maritime boats down there. I think it's turned into almost a gangster operation now. In other words, it's it's, it's the, the maritime they're involved in all types of smuggling down there by the way. All types of smuggling these these maritime craft. Um some of them work for the oil companies, some of them do other stuff, some of them, you know, whatever they do, not many of them are fishing that much. But they're down there and they're being paid and people don't know what to do with them now. And I think that's a real problem. But but honestly, if they wanted to get oil out of the water, you can't. There's no chance. I talked to a Vietnamese guy once. I'm sorry, a Malaysian guy one time who's a Malaysian oil company. And he told me, he said, there's no chance of ever getting any oil down there if it turns into a battlefield. He said, you know, you can't you can't set up oil oil rigs if some guy can. Because all a guy has to do is drive by with a small and a fisherman in a boat, light up two LP, light up two RPGs, and you're done. Right. You know. And so, so it's you, you need peace. And actually, the Chinese are sophisticated enough in their markets. In fairness to them, they know all you got to do is just get the oil flowing. They'll control it. You know what I'm saying? Who, who cares if you're part? Who cares if the Malaysians or the Vietnamese are your thirty percent partners on it? Nobody cares as long as that oil flows into the marketplace. That's all they need, you know. In other words, if they can get another ten million barrels of oil a day or whatever it is out of there, so what? Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter that Chinese companies have it. It just matters that it goes onto the market and that drives down oil prices. All right. Actually, maybe we just finish on this in the last couple of minutes. Um, speaking of oil, which is up against ninety-five bucks a barrel almost, um, energy prices just... going up until until the U.S. enters recession, probably, but. Uh, Indonesia announcing an actual carbon credit trading scheme this strikes me as as odd for a country that is still per capita kind of poor that probably doesn't want uh, high energy prices. I've always assumed that most of Southeast Asia has been giving lip service to the climate change religion um, 
and and hoping that it results in some transfer of of resources from richer countries to them. So they're going along for it, but wouldn't actually take steps that would raise the cost of their own energy. Um, do you think this thing in Indonesia is real? Are they actually going to do this idea that, for example, California would like to do, or uh, is this is this window dressing? Do you think? I think it's corruption. I think somebody's figured out how to take some money out of the jackasses from the World Economic Forum or from Greenpeace or from not Greenpeace, but from some German NGO or some U.S. program that John Kerry has set up. And they figured out how to milk the shit out of this thing. And nobody cares because no one's going to abide by it. Right. You know, so the I mean, coal, well, coal the plants floor. can keep operating and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll get around to buying the credits tomorrow. OK. In, or, in, yeah. Indonesian coal is some of the most valuable coal in Asia because it burns so well. It's like really apparently really high grade hmm. um, are really good, really good coal. That's what I was told. The time. They have oil. They have coal. They have timber. Are you kidding me? No, no, not a chance in hell that place is going to. But if some idiot wants to sign something, you know what I'm saying? I mean, really, it's basically Sierra, Marriott, Sierra Madre, like. Here's your badges. They're going badges. We don't need no stinking badges. I mean, that's what it is. Here's right. your, here's your here's your global climate change award. Okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's well, kind of like it's, it's like United Airlines. Whenever you get on United Airlines, would you like to donate money towards global climate change? No oh god. Yeah. I mean, I, if anybody does it, I would. I would be. I would love to see. How many people actually say, I am guaranteeing you of the hundreds of thousands of people that fly, maybe a, a day, I don't know United, but hundreds of thousands of people, that, millions of people that fly United Airlines every week. I can a thousand percent guarantee you it's no more than one tenth of one percent of the people that say yes. But yeah, of course, that's it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like when you go, I mean. That, that's basically what the, that's actually I like the analogy. That's like basically what the climate change people have turned into. Would you like mm -hmm. to donate 25 cents? Would you like to round up your purchase of gas for right. another 25 cents? That's all it is. It's turned is that's what it's turned into. And the Indonesians. All right. So if we sign up for this, we get to go to Geneva three times a year and we get to fly to Brisbane and we get free hotel rooms. OK, we'll do it. We're there. Yeah, well, the cop this yeah. year is in Dubai, so uh, that's a nice. Oh place boy, to go. well, that's the you know, free hotels. Look, man, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I spent enough time in the Philippines to know that they milk these these the Filipinos, the Indonesians, the Thais, the Americans. You know what I'm saying? All yeah. these people who work in NGOs, they can sniff out a freebie like no tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like you know. <laughs> They're they're like the old ladies who can find the lobster at the buffet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, anything that's free, these guys can find. It's 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 unbelievable. I mean, people, if if you don't know that, if you don't believe that, they are unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. It's like I still remember. Last story, I let you go. I still remember being in Hong Kong, and you know the guy. I think congressional delegation there. Of, of of congressional delegation and the delegation was there and it wasn't a delegation, it was staffers, all staffers, and they were staying at the Mandarin Oriental. So they had at the Mandarin, they had on their things legally, they were supposed they had like $80 a day or something like that of per diem that they had to use. So at the end, the guy from the the guy from the the group goes, um, do we have a total of how much per diem that we've spent so far at the hotels? 
So this guy gets it. And so I'm standing there because a friend of mine, she's part of, she's one of the staffers. So I'm sitting there, and this is like 12 years ago. I'm standing there, and I'm standing there with a couple, this, you know, we still had decent relationships with the Hong Kong government. We could at least talk to him. We're standing there. This guy from, by the way, he's a Republican, this from Republican office, he gets out and he comes, he goes, here's how much you have left. So everybody had like they'd been there for like four days. Some people just didn't use it. Oh, you have $200 left. You have $300. So he proceeded with these other three people to go into the gift shop and buy gifts using their per diem. <laughs> it was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in a, of, a, of a U.S. government official. It was pathetic. I was embarrassed. The woman I was with was embarrassed. The Hong Kong officials were just looking at them like, Oh my God, is this what you people, you know, it's, it was like, it, it, I'm telling you, it was like the country cousins came to Beverly Hill, what you know what I'm saying, and wanted everything. <laughs> and that's my opinion of this Indonesian program, and I'll let you go. It's a freebie. I know about it. I saw it. All I think to myself is, hey, we get to go to exciting free places, especially Paris, and somebody else pays for it. Yes. Well, good. I'm glad to know that they're not just you know, raising their energy costs because that's not something Indonesia needs. Honestly, the world's kids in hell. Great. All right. Well, that's all for this edition of Simon White. We'll be back soon with another edition. Thanks.